0: Follow him, follow him wherever he may go. There isn't an ocean to deep or a mountain so high it could keep, keep me away. Oh, Love. joyful joyful lord we adore thee god of glory lord of love hearts unfold like flowers before thee Hail the as the sun above. Melt the clouds of sin and sadness. Drive the dark down away. Give her a more and immortal gladness. Fill us with the light Fill us with the light Oh, fill us with the light of day
1: Welcome to Sup Media Reviews, the podcast that never needs spoiler alerts because it takes you back in time to relive the nostalgia of classic TV shows and films that you've probably already seen. I'm your host, Kiara, and each week I'll dive into the archives to bring you my take on movies and TV shows from at least 20 years ago. From cult classics to forgotten gems, I'll review them all and give my honest opinion on their impact and whether or not they still hold up today. Join me as we revisit the iconic characters, memorable moments, and timeless themes that made these shows and films so special. So take a break from adulting and get ready for a trip down memory lane with SUP Media Reviews. What's up, home slices? Thanks so much for tuning in to this super special episode of Sub Media Reviews. I'm Kiara, and I'm so excited to present my very first original versus sequel review. In this extended episode, we'll compare the first Sister Act movie to Sister Act Two, one of the only film franchises where people universally agree that the sequel is far better than the original we're going to dive into each movie individually and then compare them at the very end so let's get into the first sister act now sister act is the 1992 comedy film featuring egot winner Whoopi goldberg maggie smith kathy najimi wendy mckenna mary wicks and harvey Keitel. Here here's some quick facts about the movie Sister Act was one of the most financially successful comedies of the early 90s. The budget was $31 million and the movie grossed $231 million worldwide. The film spawned a sequel that came out the following year and there was also a musical adaptation. Word on the street is that there's a third movie that's being developed for Disney+, Plus, which is where you can find both of these films if you'd like to watch them. Sister Mary Robert, the breakout singer in the first movie, was not voiced by Wendy McKenna, the actress who played her. She was voiced by a singer named Andrea Robinson. I did not know this. So the Sister Mary Robert was like the redhead nun who was like a super shy in the movie or whatever. And she is a expert lip syncer because I did not know that that was not her voice, that she was being voiced by somebody else. But anyways, I was born in 1990. And my first introduction to this film franchise was the second Sister Act movie. I didn't know anything about the first movie until I was like bored seven years ago and decided to watch it. Once I did, I immediately realized that I didn't necessarily have to watch it, but it was really nice to get some context into the second movie. And the second movie just made more sense once I watched the first one. So, we're going to talk about what happens in the first movie and then later on go into what happens in Sister Act Two and then get to the comparison. So, I hope you're ready for an extra long episode. Let's talk about the first movie. So Whoopi Goldberg is playing the main character, Dolores Wilson, who is a former Catholic student turned Reno, Nevada lounge singer who goes by the name of Dolores Van Cartier. I believe that is a fantastic drag name. I don't know if any drag queens have taken Dolores Vincartier, but that is a fantastic drag name, okay? So we see her performing an act with some background singers in a casino. And Jennifer Lewis is one of the background singers. This is probably one of the only roles that I've seen Jennifer Lewis in where she's not playing somebody's mama. So that's nice. They do a performance at this casino and everybody there is basically over it. It's kind of funny. The the audience is not really a captive audience, but the mix of the songs is cute. It's very 1950s girl groups mashup, okay? And so once the performance is over, we see that Dolores is dating a man named Vince. Vince is a married man. And Dolores is upset that he has not told his wife about her. And he's using Catholic guilt as his excuse to not get a divorce from his wife. So Dolores decides, I'm not going to put up with this anymore. And she decides to quit the act. And we see that two of Vince's goons come in and bring her a gift. It's an ugly purple mink coat that's supposed to get back in Dolores' good graces. But unfortunately, it's engraved with his wife's name. So this man just found a big box and put his wife's purple mink coat inside the box and had one of his goons wrap it and deliver it to Dolores, not remembering that it was engraved with his wife's name. This is why I can't deal with the side chick thing, okay? If I'm a side chick and I don't know, that's one thing. But if you are married and I know we are out here committing adultery and you make me feel like I'm playing second banana, Because I am playing second banana, we're not together anymore. Yeah, I can't, I could never deal with that. That's crazy. Dolores, of course, is very over it. So she goes to give Vince a piece of her mind. And unfortunately, she witnesses her boyfriend, Vince LaRocca, getting his goons to kill an informant. And so the goon who actually shoots the gun hides it behind his back like a child when Dolores walks into the room And that was just really funny to me. And so after this, a ridiculous chase scene ensues, but Dolores is able to get away from the casino without being hurt and she goes straight to the police. And you know, snitches don't always get stitches, okay? Sometimes they survive, okay? And sometimes you just gotta do what you gotta do to survive. But anyways, one of the police officers that she's talking to is Jim Baver. So if there are any fans of Supernatural, out there. Jim Beaver is the actor who plays Bobby Singer, who was kind of like a father figure to the main characters in Supernatural. And he's so young in this movie that you almost don't recognize him. It's like really weird to see actors who are like really notable in their older age to see them as younger people. It's very strange. But anyways, While she's talking to the police officer, they tell Dolores some things that she did not know about him. She might have known that he was married, but she did not know that he was a drug dealing money launderer and a murdering snake. She just thought he was an adulterer that wouldn't leave his wife. And so the police are trying to convince her that she needs to testify against Vince. But they need a couple months to get a court date. So she has to go into witness protection ASAP. And she's just not with it, okay? She just found out that her lying boyfriend is also a murdering thug. And she is just not really absorbing all of this information. (laughs) So the witness protection situation turns out to be disguising Dolores as a nun at a convent in St. Catherine's Parish in a rundown neighborhood in San Francisco. So Dolores obviously does not want to be there and is quite vocal about that. But eventually she kind of realizes that she doesn't have a choice and that it's only a temporary solution until the court date thing comes through. Plus, the police department is paying the struggling church to hide Dolores like baby Jesus in Egypt. So the church needs the money, y'all. The church is run down, okay? So Dolores ends up taking on another fake name, which is Sister Mary Clarence and she struggles real hard to deal with the rules of this church. So there's a character who is referred to as the Reverend Mother. I am not Catholic, so I'm just going off what it goes, what is in the movie, y'all. So the character is called the Reverend Mother, and she is played by Maggie Smith, who you all might know as Professor McGonagall in the Harry Potter series. And she basically becomes like an arch nemesis to to Sister Mary Clarence, And they don't like each other from the outset. The Reverend Mother feels like Dolores is impossible for Dolores to blend in. And Dolores is a person who enjoys her vices like sex and smoking and freedom and not living in poverty. So (laughs) the Reverend Mother tells Dolores that she has to dress like a nun And Dolores freaks out, okay? And then the Reverend Mother tells Whoopi that she imagines that anyone who meets Dolores wants to kill her. And I just thought that was so funny. They have a very interesting type of banter, one that I think is even a little saucy for nuns, but it's quite funny. So as time progresses, Sister Mary Clarence gets into a lot of trouble. She gets put on a fast for insulting the food. The Reverend Mother tells Dolores about herself in a way that I thought was very funny. The Reverend Mother said, okay, you had a failing career. Your married lover wants you dead. Things weren't going well for you out there in the real world. Okay, God brought you here for a reason. So you need to take the hint. And I was like, well, dang, go ahead and hold her accountable. Okay, River Mother. Uh (laughs) So church is happening the next morning and we hear the choir for the first time and they are so bad. Sister Mary Patrick, who's played by Kathy and Jimmy, is singing way too loud. They aren't singing on the same pace. The piano player isn't doing very well. And it's actually quite funny to listen to. It's a cacophony, okay? And over time, Dolores gets to know the other nuns and has conversations with them. Lots of them consist of lies because she doesn't really have her story straight about where <laughs> she came from. And she doesn't have like a real frame of reference for what it means to be a nun, even though she grew up going to. Catholic school so while Dolores is there trying to get acclimated we see that her boyfriend Vince has put out a quarter of a million dollar prize on this lady's head and they did it in a very clever way they made it seem like Dolores was their missing daughter and that they wanted to see her dead or alive for 250,000 dollars That's clever, okay? But anyways, she tries calling the detective to get her out of there because things just are not going well for her. And he's like, girl, you cannot be calling me because we have witnesses that are going missing magically and we have a leak in this department. Don't call me. Do not call me anymore, and he hangs up. (laughs) So Sister Mary Robert, who is played by Wendy McKenna, is drawn to Dolores. Mary Robert is a sweet, quiet lady who's a wallflower, if I've ever seen one. She wants so much to let her inner light shine, and she's just really having a hard time doing with that. She even feels guilty about wanting to let her light shine. And from what I hear in Catholicism, guilt is a big deal. They bring it up a lot in this movie, okay? So Sister Mary Clarence is rebelling to the point where she basically sneaks out of the church and goes to a bar and she orders a Coke and two of the nuns end up following her. And in the club or in the bar rather, we see a young A.J. Johnson. For those of you who don't know who A.J. Johnson is, she is the woman who plays the mother of the main character in Baby Boy. So, you know, this movie has given birth to a lot of, you know, young talent. So anyways, AJ Johnson gets roped into dancing with one of the nuns at the bar. And when they all return back to the convent, the Reverend Mother catches them, of course, and basically forces Dolores to join the choir out of punishment. And this is in exchange for Dolores not having to do chores anymore. And I feel like, girl, that is a good deal, okay? Look, I don't like doing chores, so if I can direct the choir instead of cleaning up and scrubbing up and gardening and all the other activities and crafts that they were doing, sign me up. OK, but Dolores, I feel like she was only kind of half thrilled because she saw how bad the choir was. So she still does have her reservations. So we find that the church has a lackluster choir They have lackluster church attendance, and the church is under construction. And of course, there's no money for repairs because there are no people coming to the church, okay? So the nuns are at choir practice and they know that Dolores has a background in music. And so Sister Mary Lazarus, who is played by Mary Wicks, is an older stern nun who's the current choir director. And she gets really offended because she feels like the Reverend Mother and Sister Mary Clarence are conspiring to replace her. But the other nuns are so happy to see that there's somebody who's more qualified because they know they suck. Okay. And so Sister Mary Clarence jumps right in. Okay. She does some arranging like the Sopranos need to be with the Sopranos. Altos need to be with the Altos. You singing too loud. You singing too low. And she works her magic and uses her good personality and humor to warm people up. And she gets them to make a sound that's not horrible. Okay. And there's this running joke that goes throughout both movies But in this movie, the piano player for the choir, her name is Alma. She's an older lady who I'm assuming has a hearing aid that requires a battery pack. And she wears a battery pack around her neck. (laughs) And Dolores, (laughs) Sister Mary Clarence, has to tell Alma to turn on the battery pack. And it is so funny. I don't know why that's so funny to me. It's hilarious. Okay. Not that being hard of hearing or being older is hilarious, but something about her having to tell this lady, girl, check your battery back. <laughs> oh, I don't know why that's so funny to me. So like I said, Dolores starts working with Sister Mary Robert, who is just so timid that it's almost disgusting, okay? And she gets her to open up those vocals and we hear that she has a beautiful voice. Like I mentioned earlier in the fun facts, it's not the actress's voice, it's actually a different person's voice and the actress is lip syncing. But anyways, Dolores kind of unofficially becomes a new choir director. So it's the next church service and they're doing their first performance under the new directorship and they improve dramatically. And even if you aren't into gospel or like this version of like very angelic gospel that happens in these types of choirs, it really does sound beautiful. Like they sound really good and it actually is kind of moving and makes you feel things. At least that's how I felt about it. And so at a certain point in the song, they transition from like this very traditional sound of the type of like gospel or hymns that they would do. And then they throw in some other genres and like kind of turn up on the song. And they throw in like a little bit of like rock and roll or R&B influence. And even some of the hoodlums come off the street to hear the choir turn up. And so the old Reverend Mother is not pleased. And she's like, you know, it needs to be traditional. Y'all can't be up here infusing these hymns with this secular music, okay? And we all know that there are traditional Christians that hate straying away from tradition or meshing the old with the modern. So it felt very at home for me. <laughs> it felt very true to form for me to have the Reverend Mother be very disapproving by the modernization of the choir's arrangements. But there's the preacher that preaches at I don't even know if they use the term preacher in Catholic churches, but he's called the Monsignor, okay? And the Monsignor commends them on the service and how the music literally called in people off the street. And like I said, like with the updated and improved music, Dolores actually gets the Monsignor to believe that it was Maggie Smith's or the Reverend Mother's idea about revitalizing the arrangements and the selections and basically uses this as an opportunity to get the Monsignor's approval for the nuns to do more work in the community, which ends up drawing in even more people. And so the Reverend Mother has this concern about how dangerous the neighborhood is, that like the nuns are being protected by the walls of a church. And it's one of those like situations where like you hide a lamp, right? Like if you hide a lamp under something and it's like, they're not sharing God's goodness, out of fear. And it turns out that the other nuns that are in the comment want to get into the neighborhood and get involved. And so we get a montage. You all, montages are a big part of movie history. And so we have this montage where we see the nuns start cleaning up the streets to like this nice musical background. And there's a time lapse. And we see them raising money for repairs. And we see them painting a mural and playing double dutch with the youth in the community. And church attendance starts going up, which means they start raising even more money and they start having such an impact that they even get media attention so Dolores is like a OG influencer all right she was like we finna get out here we finna get in these streets we finna raise some money and we finna draw some attention okay to the church that's like OG influencers like let's get some more followers up in here okay With media, of course, comes exposure and Dolores gets scolded by the detective who's helping her. His name is Detective Souther, Souther? something like that. And she gets scolded by him because he literally saw her on TV and she was like a split second away from Vince finding out where she was. Okay. And by now, the church has a full house. The house is packed, okay? And it's the next church service. And they do a remix of My Guy by the Supremes. And they called it My God. And it was super cute. And the song fit with the sermon for the day. And they're singing. It's just so cute to see these ladies up here singing and singing well. And remixing these songs to be about Jesus. Nothing you can say to tear me away from my God. My God. It's so cute. It is so cute, y'all. Okay. So the church is actually getting so much buzz that the Pope is going to come visit. So the Reverend Mother is like, "Mm, the Pope is coming. So we need to do a traditional arrangement. Okay. Needs to be traditional for the Pope. But. They're like, the only reason he's coming here is because we're doing something new. So shouldn't he see the new stuff? And she's like, let's take a vote. And unfortunately, the Reverend Mother gets way outvoted and they're like, we finna do something new and cool for the Pope, which I think is so cool. I love innovative minds, okay? Innovative minds that can break the chains of tradition without straying away from having the right heart and intentions, you know what I mean? So things get to the point where they're kind of wrapping up because Dolores finds out that she has to testify in like 48 hours because they were able to expedite the trial. But Dolores feels conflicted because having her leave so soon means that she won't be able to help them with the concert for the Pope. And so she talks to the Reverend Mother and sees that the Reverend Mother has decided to resign from her role and be relocated to a different church because she thinks she's just too old-fashioned to continue and nobody's really listening to her anyway. And so the detective who's been helping Dolores, like I said, Detective Souther or Souther, finds out who the crooked cop is that's been leaking information to Vince. And it's a detective that we saw earlier in the movie named Detective Tate. And so he gets punched in the face because he ended up finding the paperwork for the donation to the church and snitched. And so now Detective Souther has to go and try to intercept this whole situation before Dolores gets herself killed. Okay. And so the ladies, the nuns are rehearsing for the Pope when Detective Souther shows up to get her out of there. He's like, I understand you have a Pope preparation going on here. However, they coming after you. I figured out who the leak was. They told him where you are and you are in danger. So Dolores ends up giving the detective the slip because she doesn't want to leave. She feels like if she leaves now, she'll be abandoning the ladies. And so unfortunately, right as she gives the detective the slip, Dolores and one of the other nuns, Sister Mary Roberts gets kidnapped at gunpoint. And the detective is distracted because he's waiting for Whoopi to come back. And so Whoopi Goldberg, (laughs) Whoopi Goldberg, And the other nine are being kidnapped in this car and Whoopi Goldberg rolls sister Mary Robert out of the car and tells (laughs) they're driving down the street and (laughs) they get stopped by a trolley. (laughs) I don't know why this is so funny. Okay. They're again, being held at gunpoint in a car. And they're driving down the street and a trolley is in the way so the car can't really go anywhere. And so Sister Mary Clarence throws Sister Mary Roberts out of the car and she rolls (laughs) out of the car and Detective Souther is able to intercept her and tell them where she's going. So Sister Mary Roberts makes it back to the convent and tells all the nuns like, yo, she got kidnapped at gunpoint and they're taking her to the moonlit lounge. And so the Reverend Mother ends up having to tell the rest of the nuns what's really going on. Like Sister Mary Clarence is not a nun. She's a lounge singer who witnessed her boyfriend murder somebody. And she was in witness protection and they about to kill her. So the nuns are like, we got to save her. Okay. It sucks that she's not a nun or whatever. Like we, we fell for it. We bought it. But that doesn't mean that she deserves to be murdered. <laughs> so let's go get her. And so the Reverend mother's like, okay, let's go. So the nuns go to rescue Sister Mary Clarence. And they use the most powerful guilt that I have probably ever seen on the helicopter operator to get him to transport them to Reno. They get a free ride. They conned that man out of a $1,500 ride (laughs) to Reno in a helicopter. Guilt is such a powerful tool. So Dolores gets put in front of Vince. She's still in her nun's habit and she's being super nun-like. She isn't showing any fear. She's telling Vince that he'll be judged. And he even does this thing where he hits her on the head with like a roll of newspaper so she can snap out of it. And that was actually quite funny to me. He did it like, girl, you're being ridiculous. And for whatever reason, it felt like kind of real in the moment. And I just thought that was very funny. So he orders his men to waste Sister Mary Clarence while the rest of the nuns are like flying over the city and, you know, witnessing all of the beauty of the night lights. And when I tell y'all there's like 20 nuns inside this helicopter, I feel like they don't even make helicopters that big, that 20 people can fit in them. It's like, who are you guys kidding? There's no way there's 20 nuns up in this helicopter, okay? And so the Reverend Mother, as they're flying over the city, calls it Reno and Gomorrah. I thought that was hilarious, okay? So Vince's two goons are looking at Dolores in this nun's habit and they're like, we can't kill her like this, okay? She's a nun. So she ends up escaping by getting them to untie her and she, you know, falls to her knees and prays before punching them in the nuts. And so she escapes and she's running around the casino trying to get away from them. And then the other nuns make it to the casino around the same time. And it's a good thing because having so many nuns in the casino is actually quite confusing for the goons. One of the nuns gets caught at a slot machine. That was so funny, y'all. She, her face looked like she was so guilty. <laughs> that was funny. So Dolores and the nuns are supposed to be sneaking out in a certain area and they end up getting found by Vince and his goons. And Dolores is like, they don't have anything to do with this. Let me, you know, take me, shoot me, kill me. She's sacrificing herself to save the nuns. And so she's about to get shot. Until Detective Souther comes out of nowhere and shoots Vince and arrests him. And so that's over with. And now that the police have caught him in the act of trying to murder somebody, they have even a stronger case <laughs> against it. So at the end of the movie, we see that the nuns are at the concert for the Pope and the nuns perform a holy version of I will follow him for a very pleased Pope. And the Reverend Mother, of course, resumes her role and Dolores tours with the nuns in a singing group. And that is the and so if you haven't seen the first sister act, I would say that re-watching it for this review made me realize that it's actually a pretty funny movie. All of the nuns are fantastic. And if you're a fan of 60s girl group music, hearing it remixed for the Lord is actually quite entertaining. Some of the comedy is a little silly, but I will say I really enjoyed it more so than I remember. Now, I don't know if it was because it was like 2 a.m., when I was watching this movie and I was actually quite delirious, but I liked it a lot and I believe that it is absolutely worth a rewatch and is going to provide a little more or a lot more context when you watch Sister Act 2. I believe that this movie definitely holds up today and is really only talked down on because we compare it to the 1993 sequel. So if you aren't doing anything, just give the movie a chance, okay? On Rotten Tomatoes, the critics gave it a 75% while the regular folks gave it a 65%. So take with that what you will, but the movie is actually pretty good. Okay. Now it's time to jump in to Sister Act Two, Back in the Habit, which is a funny name because nuns wear habits. I did not know or realize that until much later in life. So some of the jokes you just have to wait around and grow up to get sister act 2 back in the habit is a 1993 sequel to sister act featuring all the nuns we loved like whoopi goldberg dame maggie smith Kathy jimmy wendy mckenna and mary wicks this time we get some young stars added into the mix like lauren hill jennifer love hewitt alana Ubach, monica calhoun from best man and ryan toby from city high all right, here are some fun facts about the movie. Of course, this was the first theatrical performance of Lauren Hill. I was actually always pretty salty that she didn't take up acting again. I felt like she did a really good job in this. And I understand that it was a way for her to develop her music career. And it absolutely worked or whatever. However, I feel like she could have like a good acting career if she wanted to. And she just had to make sure she showed up on time. There's a scene in the movie where Lauren Hill starts rapping on the basketball court and her rap was actually improvised. So that's pretty neat. So the second fun fact is that Whoopi Goldberg's daughter is actually in this movie and has a speaking part. So there's a part in the movie where the students are gathered around saying yo mama jokes. And Whoopi Goldberg's real life daughter is the actress who says the joke that yo mama is so fat she sat on a rainbow and Skittles popped out. How could we not love that joke? <laughs> so like I mentioned earlier, my first introduction to the Sister Act franchise was Sister Act 2. I watched it as a young child and loved it immediately. It had a big hip hop influence. It was an underdog story, and it introduced us to Lauren Hill I consider this movie to be a precursor to shows like Glee with the remix mashups, just only with like a little sprinkle of gospel influence. And one of the things that a great sequel will do is expand upon the first movie. And this movie goes way above and beyond that. So enough of my ramblings, let's get into the action. In the opening scene, we see that Dolores Van Cartier has graduated from Reno to Las Vegas, where she has her own show with an increased production budget. She has transformed her witness protection experience into a musical show number. And so many of the songs from the first movie get brought into this opening number. We see that three of her nun friends come to the show. And y'all, can we talk about Whoopi's body? While she's on stage performing, there's a part of the show where she's in like this spandex jumpsuit and she looks snatched. She looks very good, okay? I feel like we don't talk about that, okay? But anyways, uh, as a part of the show, she gets hoisted up into the air in her nun's habit and the operators start swinging her around like crazy. (laughs) She is very unhappy about being swung around like a rag doll, but the audience freaking loved it. Okay. So she felt very surprised by that. (laughs) Surprised and delighted. So the nuns, of course, are invited backstage. And we learn that the community outreach that Dolores inspired in the previous film has inspired the nuns to teach at St. Francis Academy, which is a school that Whoopi Goldberg's character went to as a child. So they convinced Dolores to come to San Francisco based off the strength that Maggie Smith is desperate for her help. They don't really offer any other thing, but... I guess because of the bond and relationship that they formed, Dolores is like if she needs me, I'm there. How sweet is that? They hated each other at the beginning of the first movie. Look at that evolution. Anyways, we see that Dolores and uh, Maggie—I'm calling her Maggie because I don't know what she's called in this. this Let's call her Professor McGonagall. (laughs) So we see Dolores and Professor McGonagall embrace. It's really nice to see them get along. Okay. And she is like, Dolores, we need you to be a music teacher. Okay. We need your infectious nature to save the school and the community. And the Reverend Mother is like using the guilt thing again. She is laying it on thick. And she's like, Dolores, I don't even know if you would have the success you have today without some friends that shall go unnamed. So Dolores is like, all right, all right, I'll do it. She will do it. And so Dolores agrees. So after the all expense paid guilt trip... Dolores decides to reprise her role as Sister Mary Clarence and become a teacher at St. Francis Academy. So we learn that Father Maurice, who appears to be like the sweetest old man, he looks so sweet, so precious, okay. Father Maurice is the principal of the school and there's a school administrator named Mr. Crisp who thinks he recognizes Whoopi Goldberg and he obviously does not really like children, but he's there for a very specific reason we find out later. So there's a faculty dinner and they make a big deal out of how Father Wolfgang, who is the cook, is so bad at cooking. And it's actually pretty funny. <laughs> He's supposed to be like a German guy, I think, that only knows how to make sausages. And it's very funny. I don't know why. it's That scene was very funny. They did not <laughs> want to eat that and it did not look appetizing. It was hilarious. Okay. So. The principal, like I said, is like a super sweet older man. And he's basically trying to hold the school together with like some spit and glue sticks. All right. And so Whoopi talks to him and she calls him your royal happiness," which is hilarious. And we see like a few snapshots of some of the classes that are going on right now. And we even get a cameo from Yo-Yo, the rapper. She's briefly in this movie as one of the students. But we see that through these little snapshots that the kids are not engaged. They're not really learning. They don't want to be there. And this school is obviously failing, okay? So Dolores walks into her class to see the students playing the dozens and Sister Mary Lazarus wishes her luck and calls her the new mayor of Sodom and Gomorrah. I feel like Sister Mary Clarence is realizing that she's kind of in over her head, but she manages to get some control over the classroom by roasting the students. <laughs> Ugh. She starts to introduce herself, and one of the <laughs> students insults her. And she says, Your mama's so dumb, she got hit by a parked car. <laughs> And that earns her a little bit of credibility with the students. And it's it's funny. These are 90s, early 90s, your mama jokes. Classic timeless 90s, your mama jokes. And they're still funny sometimes <laughs> in this context. But anyways, so as she's in the classroom, we meet some of the students, the ones that kind of stick out the most. One of them who's called Sketch is asleep. There's one white student whose name I can't remember off the top of my head, but he's a kiss up. There's a woke Negro, named Amal, who wants to be called by another name. There's a black scent rapper who goes by Frank K. And then we have Lauren Hill's character, Rita. And so the kids don't have books, and there's no money to teach them. So the students are kind of like, mm, we're just going to do our thing and they start playing music and hanging out again. And this is Sister Mary Clarence's first day on the job. And I wanna say, if you're listening and you're a teacher, God bless you, okay? There's so many things wrong with the education system. And one of those things is not paying teachers, they just due. So God bless you and may God keep you on your journey to mold the young minds of America. So we switched to a scene where the students are having some type of like flow session on the basketball court. And this is the scene where Lauren Hill does that improvised rap that she does. And they get interrupted by Sister Mary Clarence. And she, <laughs> I really enjoyed this part because <laughs> Sister Mary Clarence <laughs> is rapping. She's, I got the flow. Y'all gots to go. So grab your bag so we can go ho, ho, Ew, now (laughs) that's so funny she's taking these things that these children love and making a mockery of them to get what she needs out of them and i think it's hilarious but the students don't agree okay these students get together in front of a bodega and talk about how we can't have this new nun messing up our bird course okay that we just fly right through they start plotting and scheming on how to get her out of there okay so they decide to put a very strong industrial glue on her chair and the students do a complete 180 and are on their best behavior uh, in order to get her butt in that chair so that the prank can be completed. And so they prank her. She gets glued to the chair and she is over it. Okay. She about to be out of there. Okay. But Sister Mary Clarence actually overhears a conversation with mr crisp father maurice and three people who work for the archdiocese and she learns that they're planning on closing the school down so father maurice is like okay we're gonna close the school down at the end of the year and they're like no we're closing it at the end of the semester and i'm like oh they have a matter of months (laughs) to save this school so sister mary clarence is like "Mm, okay like the situation is more dire than we thought it is the school is in the red and they basically only have a few months left okay so it looks like this revelation has come to the archdiocese office because of mr crisp's analysis and we find out that he's kind of using this to lobby for his early retirement because he's been with the archdiocese for 30 years and he's trying to retire soon and I don't know how retirement works when you work for a religious organization but why can't he just retire now does he have to be given permission to retire so this is like the biggest issue that I have with the story in Sister Act 2 is that Mr. Chris origin story is not working for me like it seems to be like a little kind of run over fact that he's applying for early retirement and that's supposed to be his motivation for being such a Butthole and arch nemesis and villain in this movie, but for whatever reason, those pieces just don't come together for me. And I am in my early 30s, I know a little bit about working for people and know a little something about retirement, so um, I don't know why that origin story just isn't gelling for me. But, anyways, apparently, St. Francis Academy is the only school that's left in the community, so. The students will have to be bused and sent to a school in another district if this school shuts down. So the situation actually is pretty dire. And Sister Mary Clarence is like, okay, they actually really do need me. I'm gonna stick around. So we see Father Maurice talking to Dame Maggie Smith and he's like, mm, uh, this new nun is kind of disruptive. Uh, <laughs> you have any advice on how we should handle her or whatever? So Dame Maggie Smith is like, I find that we should basically leave her up to her own devices. She has radical ideas, but so did we back in the day. And you can see that uh, Father Maurice and Dame Maggie Smith have a really good relationship. It's uh, I don't know. They just seem to really like each other, and they have a history, and they're trying to do their best they can for the students. Okay. So Sister Mary Clarence, knowing that there's like a sense of urgency to this situation, goes into the classroom and she starts laying down the law because the stakes are too high right now. Okay. And she's like, You take off those sunglasses, you take off that hat, you make sure you comb your hair before you come to my class. This is not a bird course, and we're gonna to do we're about to do some curriculum, or I'm gonna fail everybody. And so Rita. Who's played by Lauren Hill tries to stage a mutiny and she's like, We like things the way they were. We about to walk up out of here. And she is the only person that's ready to walk up out of there. Everybody else is like, mm, it looks like Sister Mary Clarence means business. And it actually feels like these students might be hungry for a little more structure and trying to actually learn something. And that was something as a kid that I never understood. But as an adult, I think I get it now about children. There's like this assumption that children want freedom, want to be able to do whatever they want. But I feel like children really want structure because it creates stability. And when you have stability in your life, it means that you feel more secure. And so I think something about having a new structure makes them feel confident. So yeah, but anyways, nobody follows behind Rita and she ends up leaving the class and she walks out alone and she feels betrayed by her friends which I guess I kind of get but she's already out on the limb she couldn't walk it back now so Sister Mary Clarence at some point gets the idea to turn the music class into a choir um, to help the students get through the semester and that's where we get the infamous if you want to be somebody and you want to go somewhere, you better wake up and pay attention. And so, of course, one of the students was like, we have to liven this up a little bit, okay? And she's like, well, what are you talking about? And of course, the whole class
0: breaks out into music. If you want to be somebody, if you want to go somewhere, you better wake up and pay attention. And
1: she's like, OK, we got this. This is a fantastic idea. And it is. It is a fantastic idea. Music class, choir, it, it all comes together. OK. And it ties this movie back to the original movie because of course Whoopi Goldberg's character was the choir director in the last movie. It's all come together. So because this class has a new direction the kids go on a field trip an unauthorized field trip to a local senior center where the nuns are doing some community service by performing Ball of Confusion by the Temptations. And so once again Sister Mary Clarence has to tell Alma, the piano player, to turn on her battery pack. Again, it's so funny. (laughs) So funny because it's not only like a good callback from the other film. It's just hilarious that a woman who is doing an activity that's so related to sound has to be reminded to turn on her battery pack. That's just so funny to me. So in this scene, we get some of the old nuns from the first movie to perform this song together. And they are so cute and it is so nice and it is so fun, but the students aren't that into it and I think it's because these are old songs right like in the first movie these were very 50s and 60s songs by old groups like the Supremes or whatever and so these new students need something a little bit more modern so they weren't as into it I think as we uh, as Sister Mary Clarence hoped that they would be but as we see they eventually come around Ball of Confusion It's such a good song. Like four weeks ago, I took my husband to see like the play version of The Temptations where they do like the live musical performance and tell the story of The Temptations like from... The beginning till now is basically like the Temptations movie, but on stage with live music. And it was freaking fantastic. Okay. And Ball of Confusion was one of the songs I perform. Uh, freaking amazing. Okay. If you have a chance to see it, if they are in your town doing a production of it, I would suggest you go see it. And you'll see how many hits the Temptations have had. It's pretty amazing. But anyways, when the students get back from this little field trip, Father Maurice basically chastises Sister Mary Clarence because she did not have parental consent for these students to go on a field trip. And it's like this lady cannot be an educator if she doesn't know that. And as a person who used to work as a school at a, <laughs> and as a person who used to work at a school, all teachers are not the brightest bulbs. OK, we actually had something similar happen at a school, which was actually quite funny and ridiculous but also very serious parents need to know where their kids are like come on sister mary clarence and if not sister mary clarence there were like a ton of other nuns at this performance like the other nuns should have been like girl we got to get parental consent before we take these kids out of here but whatever So while Sister Mary Clarence is getting reprimanded by Father Maurice, two of the students over here, Father Maurice, tell her that the school is closing. So those students go back to the other students and very interestingly make a leap of logic that the choir can help the school to not close. This leap of logic is very, they leaping. They are leaping. They are leaping. There's no way that my 17 year old high school mind would think that me participating in a choir, a thrown together choir at the last few months of the semester would do anything to help save the school. That's a big leap in logic, but whatever, we'll just roll with it. So we go to the dusty cobweb choir room that hasn't been used in years. And we do like a little talent search in the classroom. And so people start singing and rapping and doing Mary Had a Little Lamb. And we figure out that, you know, of course, this class is is very talented. So she just gets like a little baseline of where people are. And Rita is watching from afar and realizing that she's missing out especially now that the class has transitioned from being just a music class to a choir and she has a big desire to sing so there's a super cool <laughs> a super i would say even iconic scene in the movie where we see sister mary roberts overhearing lauren hill and one of the other students saying his eye is on the sparrow and it's like a super beautiful scene and Rita is talking about this is the scene where we learn that Rita's mom has a beef with musicians and doesn't really think singing is a good career and her friend is like, okay, that's what your mom thinks, but what do you think? And the other singer has like a really powerful, beautiful voice too, but then she messes up on his eyes on the sparrow every time. And so they end up singing it together and Lauren Hill's voice sounds like butter It's just so beautiful. I'm not even going to try to emulate it because the runs that she does, I can't do it. But it's just so beautiful. And eventually they spot Sister Mary Roberts and stop. And so Sister Mary Roberts sees her and she talks to Rita and she sees herself in Rita. And she's like, Sister Mary Clarence can help you. And Rita is like, this is not the land of opportunity. This is not going to take me anywhere. And she is taking on that indoctrination from her mother. Okay. And so later on, Sister Mary Clarence intercepts Rita because Sister Mary Roberts is like, that girl can sing. You need to go. You need to go get her. So, Sister Mary Clarence intercepts Rita one day and she gives her a book about doing what you love and doing things that you have a passion for. It's called Letters to a Young Poet by Rainer Maria Wilkie. And I don't, I haven't read that book. I don't think I've read anything by that author. I probably should, but I've heard the name a lot. So I'm assuming they're a fantastic writer. Rita reads the book and just like that, she's back. We get like a mini montage of the students and the teachers revitalizing the rundown choir room while the students practice their la 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 la. la, la. So we get a little confidence lesson for Amal. And just like that, they're ready for their first performance where they're singing, oh, happy day for the whole school. So they start off pretty bad. There's probably a lot of things going on. This is like their first time performing for other people. And not only is this other people, it's for the other students and teachers at their school. So they have their own reputations to protect and it's like first performance jitters. So they start off a little rocky, but eventually they get their second wind, okay? They turn up a little bit and then the crowd gets into it when they switch to, hey taught me how. When they get to that part, then they start turning up a little bit because the beat improves. Ahmad gets his rhythm going and he's more confident and he's like doing crowd work. <laughs> he's so confident. He goes from having the little mousy voice to walking through the crowd and doing that fantastic note that I think the note is an E flat or something like that. That's so difficult to hit. Jesus. When
0: Jesus washed. When my Jesus washed. When Jesus washed.
1: (laughs) It was so high. You guys couldn't hear it.
0: When Jesus washed. When Jesus washed. (laughs) Wendy in
1: the I think that's as high as I can go <laughs> My Santa at the end they was getting down a happy day. and y'all they did a really good job. so once again we witnessed the transformative power of sister Mary Clarence okay? They impress everybody. They get a standing ovation, okay? And so in the next scene, some of the nuns are going through and cleaning out some old stuff in the choir room. And Sister Mary Lazarus starts singing this random song. And she says, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, show me a man that a woman can trust, That was so funny to me. Sister Mary Lazarus is probably one of my favorite nuns. She's actually pretty funny, even in the first movie. But in the second movie, like her one-liners, like take the cake. They are freaking hilarious. And she has since passed on, but she is freaking hilarious in this movie. So anyways, they come across some old trophies from back in the day. And they find out that St. Francis Academy had won a bunch of choir competitions back in the day, like in the 60s and 70s. So they're like, hmm, can we use this all-state choir competition to get us some notoriety and maybe stop the school from shutting down? Of course. So they automatically enter these kids into this all-state competition just for that very reason. The competition is six weeks out. It's in Hollywood. So of course they have work to do. And you know, they ain't got no money to send 24 people to Hollywood. (laughs) So the students, this is a really interesting scene. The students have mixed opinions about this all-state competition. Some of it is imposter syndrome about like, are we good enough to compete with other schools? There's other conversations like, we don't want to be away from our boyfriends. And then somebody's like, "Mm, there might be some cute all boy choirs. So they're like, "Mm, we're on board. So there's like a mixed bag of reactions. But the miraculous thing is that the students are having this conversation amongst themselves and are able to work through their emotions to say, we can do this. I was like, that's really neat that these students have like enough sense and maturity and ability to voice their opinions to the point where they get this resolution that we're going to go, we're going to do this. We can do this. I thought that was really neat that they didn't really take much convincing from the adults and that they were able to come to that conclusion on their own. So the next thing they have to do is convince father Maurice to let the students go. However, Father Maurice is putting up like a big fight. And so she gets mad, of course, which is something that nuns are not supposed to do. And he finally relents because everybody else is like, oh, let her do it, let her do it. So she has to raise the funds on her own. And of course, get permission slips from all of the students who are going on this trip. So now we see Cheryl Lee Ralph as Rita's mom and we see why Rita has a complex about singing basically to Cheryl any activity that doesn't bring money in is not worth it she can't be out here singing in these streets singing her should or could have would have she need to keep her head in a book because education is the key <laughs> to having a bright future and singing will get you nowhere this is what Shirley Ralph said to Lauren freaking Hill okay But anyways, so basically the choir and the competition are out because Rita's daddy died, a struggling artist. Please don't do that to your kids. Just because a a kid's parents turned out one way does not mean their child will turn out the same way. You got to encourage these babies, okay? So we find out that they need to come up with $2,000 to make the trip to Hollywood for a class of like 20 kids and four nuns. That's cheap, y'all. Y'all got like 25 people going to Hollywood for $2,000. That's cheap. It is 1993, though. So while they are, you know, tabulating their expenses or whatever, trying to figure out how much money they need, Rita comes in to quit the choir, but she takes a permission slip. So Sister Mary Lazarus, Lazarus, my favorite nun, is like, girl, give us our permission slip back. (laughs) Even though. It's obvious that Rita is very upset about having to quit choir. Sister Mary Clarence, Lazarus does not care. She's like, girl, we paid 10 cents for that copy. You better give us our permission slip. (laughs) The other nuns had to literally tell her to stop. That is so funny, y'all. That's so funny to me. But Sister Mary Clarence goes to Rita's house for a home visit. And Cheryl Lee Ralph is just so mean. And Rita is like staring daggers at her mom for not letting her be in this competition. And I was like, y'all, I couldn't even stare at daggers at my mom as a child. She would smack me, okay? Some parents have like a low patience threshold and just looking at them wrong or even breathing wrong will inspire uh, corporal punishment, okay? We see that the nuns and the students are putting on a little community concert to raise money for the choir and they sing Dancing in the Streets, which is actually probably like a super timeless song it's a fantastic song
0: it doesn't matter what you are just as long as you are there so every guy grab a girl everywhere around the world we're
1: dancing in the street Fantastic song, all right? has a lot of good energy. The community's jamming. The money's coming out of their pockets. They're collecting the money. They're dancing. The, you know, Mr. Crisp and Father Maurice are witnessing this. And Whoopi Goldberg is doing one of her James Brown fake outs, which is hilarious. And they end up raising $1,920.17. So even though they are like $80 short, they're like, we got this. They can find $80 in the couch cushions, Okay. So now we see that Rita's peers are pressuring her to reveal why she left the choir. And they're like, girl, there's not many opportunities that we have in this community to do something on a scale like this. You need to make sure you're a part of it because this may never come around again. So Rita forges her mean mother's signature on that stolen copy of the permission slip. (laughs) And this is the first time we hear the mother's first name or see the mother's first name, which is Florence. So go figure. So she forges Florence's name on that permission slip and decides, you know what? Forget what my mom is saying. I have to follow my heart. Okay. And so the students are loading up on the bus to go to Hollywood. And Rita, of course, comes around the corner at the very last second, hands over that forged permission slip and loads on the bus. And I'm like, what would have happened if Rita did not make it on time? How would that ending performance be different? If Rita did not show up, maybe we'll never know. Okay, so Mr. Crispy finds a copy of a magazine with Sister Mary Clarence's face on it and reveals to Father Maurice that she's a lounge singer that goes by the name of Dolores Van Cartier. And so when Father Maurice is like, oh, dang, I didn't know she was a nun. I'm going to call the competition and, and tell them to kick the kids out of the competition. And Crispy is like, nah, we can't do that. We need to go in person. Okay, again, while I'm having a hard time understanding Crispy's motivations as a villain in this film, I think it's important for him to be seen as not the person who allowed a nun who wasn't a nun to influence these children, So I'm thinking they have to go there in person to get ahead of something, whatever. I don't know. So yeah, I'm just trying to figure out if he's just a curmudgeon who hates kids or what. Y'all tell me something. Tell me in the comments, what am I missing? What am I missing about Crispy's motivations? Why he's the villain in this movie? I'm just, I don't understand. So anyways, Father Thomas, a hilarious, wait, what's the opposite of a nun? Is he a vicar? I don't know, Father Thomas, whatever he is, he's the the Latin teacher. This man is hilarious. He drives (laughs) them in one of the school vans to (laughs) the competition in Hollywood. He's a horrible driver. He almost kills everybody in the car and turns out he doesn't even have a license. But it's freaking hilarious. And Sister Mary Lazarus drives the kids in the school bus to the competition and she can't drive either. And I don't know why none of the people who work at the school can drive, but it is very funny to me. So anyways... We see that Florence, Rita's mother, comes home to a note from Rita saying that she went to the competition anyway against her mother's wishes, but she had to follow her heart, okay? So the competition gets ready to start and everything is going wrong, okay? The students are experiencing makeup mishaps. They have complaints about their hair. Some of their robes are getting ripped and they're just so nervous. So we start to see some of the other competitors and they're all really good. And one of my favorite performances
0: Lord, send a revival, Lord, send a revival, Lord, send a revival, and let it begin in me. <laughs> well, now, <laughs> we need a revival <laughs> to rock this world today. <laughs> Satan is loose and on the rampage, that is why we pray, yeah. <laughs>
1: That is one of my favorites because it's one of the only gospel songs in this particular movie that feels more traditional, like black. Baptist gospel so I actually really like that performance but then the Orange County Grant High School Choir that's actually being portrayed by a college level choir comes out and do this super regimented version of Joyful Joyful in like these beautiful expensive robes um, they are basically the returning champions and because the students from St. Francis Academy are also doing Joyful Joyful they become even more discouraged right like they become super nervous because because this group is doing this very traditional version of this song and they're doing it in their minds they're doing a better job so uh, during this whole situation the nuns run into father thomas and they find out that the other fathers know that sister mary clarence is not really a sister and they're trying to pull the plug on this performance and so the competition of course, is scaring the students and they're losing faith in themselves. So Sister Mary Clarence confronts them about running scared. And she's like, if y'all gonna run every time something gets difficult, y'all gonna be running forever. And she's right, y'all. That's what the girl says in the movie. (laughs) (laughs) And she's, I guess like that is their, their mo that every time something comes up, they have like a, a really hard time pushing through it because I guess they want life to be easy. Like things that are difficult, like why do them? Right. So anyways, that's enough to get the students to realize that they need to see this all the way through because people believed in them. Their community gave almost $2,000 for them to be there. They can't just wuss out now. All right. So in the background, there's like a really nice version of "Steel of the Night."
0: Another choir is performing shoo up shoo-a, shoo 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 in the steel of the
1: night. Very good. Okay, love that performance as well. So there comes a point where Father Maurice sees the children and he's just so proud of them in the moment that he cannot bear to tell them about Sister Mary Clarence. And he's just talking about how they all look so beautiful. And he just looks like a super sweet man. If he played Santa Claus, I would not be mad at that. He's just like a super sweet old man. So the students are like about to go out on stage to do their performance. And Crispy sees that the students are leaving to sing. And he's like... What's going on? He's like, we need to tell the archdiocese folks about Sister Mary Clarence right now, okay? So the other fathers are like, "Mm, we got to stop this crispy dude. He he finna mess this up for everybody, okay? And so they trick him into into going into a closet and they trap him there with a sausage. (laughs) And then they do, Jesus, what is that called? I don't even know what that's called, the little hand movement from the the head across her chest. Jesus, what is that called? Y'all, I'm so sorry. Sorry to the Catholics. I don't know what that's called, but they basically asked for forgiveness for trapping this man inside a closet with a sausage. (laughs) (sighs) Whatever. So they stand at the back of the room and get ready to take in this amazing performance. And so Father Maurice ends up finding Professor McGonagall in the crowd. And like, he ain't even mad that Professor McGonagall lied to him. He was like, this lady has transformed our lives and has transformed this school and has transformed this choir. Like, I ain't even mad at it. And I'm like... "Hmm." That's right. That, that's what happens when you have friends that you trust. Sometimes you don't need to know all of the information. Sometimes you can just go off of faith that your friends know what's best and that they got your back, right? So he sees the transformation and he's happy with it. And speaking of transformation, Rita is getting ready to do her solo and she sees her mom find a seat for the performance. And I know Rita was scared. Look, I don't know if any of you have black mothers who have caught you doing something wrong. There is something so scary about having your mother catch you do something wrong, okay? It's so scary. <laughs> so I know Rita was scary because not only did she lie to her mama, forge her mama's signature, go against her wishes about wanting to sing or be a singer or whatever, she made her mama drive from San Francisco to freaking Hollywood to come witness what's about to happen. I know that the only thing that makes your mom madder at you than disobedience is inconveniencing her, okay? (laughs) Don't make me have to get off work and come up to that school. It's not that she had to come up to the school, it's that she had to take off work and come up to the school and that's what she's mad about. So now her mom has to travel (laughs) from San Francisco to Hollywood to come see this girl do something that she does not want her to do. Rita was scared. Rita was so scared that Oh boy, playing the piano had to play the opening intro like three times before she actually started singing. And so, of course, we start off this iconic performance with Lauren Hill singing Joyful, Joyful in a very soulful manner. We also see one of the other students doing either a sign language or an interpretive dance based on the lyrics to the song, which of course is really cool as well. And of course, when she's done singing, hearts Fall like Fly before thee when she's done with her part of course they transform the song into like a more uh, hip-hop and upbeat song and they switch to the
0: drive on drive on no, the you know, yeah, no, 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 no.
1: anyways super hip hop influence there's some jazz in there there's a bunch of other influences It's really nice and the song is completely different than what the Orange County Grant High School did which again was like very regimented and strict, and you know, very like they were called an army, like it was, it was just that kind of almost robotic, a little freaky, <laughs> actually. So, it's like a nice change of pace and modernization, and they did something different than all the other groups did and made it super entertaining. And so the students also were instructed to not wear their robes. So they're all wearing these very colorful, early 90s clothing, which was consisted of things that were baggy and tight, uh, (laughs) consisted of things that were very colorful. And so we have all these students, super diverse. Let's talk about that. Well, you know what? Super diverse group of students who are wearing a bunch of different colors, not coordinated at all, like, you know, with the robes or anything, they're able to be loose and free. How are they supposed to? They are dancing, right? These kids are getting down in this performance. How are they supposed to do that in robes? How are we supposed to capture the magic of that if they're wearing robes? I don't know why they picked robes anyway, if this was going to be their performance. But anyways, so they get out there, they're dancing, they're mixing in other elements. And so we see Frank K and Sketch rapping. Since I was a youngster, I came to know that you were the only way to go, right? And then they're like, you down with G.O.D.? Yeah, you know me. So they're infusing other elements like rap, hip hop gospel and jazz and they're putting it all together and it's fusing together really well and this is why I say this is like a precursor to shows like Glee right you have the mashup element you have the different genre element or whatever and it's fantastic and amazing and I hadn't seen anything like it mainly because I was like three years old when this movie came out but super iconic and so of course the There are other like really popular moments from this performance. Of course, there's the
0: Common the, the mighty Money Chorus, which my
1: <laughs> There's that part, and then there's the other part with the dudes, the barbershop quartet with the light of day Lord. <laughs> yeah, everything about that performance is amazing. And when I say that now that I think about it, I don't think I've even watched that performance outside of the movie like typically if there's a scene from a movie or something that I really like I'll re-watch it on YouTube or something like just a snippet but for whatever reason watching that performance really is only I really can only consume it as a part of the whole movie experience because it's just so it really is like magical to see these unruly students at a failing school who don't care about anything turn things around and become like a super coordinated super cool eclectic group of talented kids it's like super neat to watch okay but anyways the performance is over with they get another standing ovation because they are fabulous okay and You could tell they were just having a good time. So the announcer starts calling out the winners. Y'all, the announcer is so cute. He's just a little round man with glasses. And I don't know why, but he just seemed like such a cute old man. And we all know who the winner is, right? Like some of the other competitors come out as the runners up or whatever. And St. Francis Academy wins the whole competition. And the students run out and they're so excited. And they have their little trophies. And then Whoopi Goldberg's character gets the big trophy. And they lift the trophies up in the air. And... It's fantastic. It's a great underdog story and they come out victorious, okay? And they reclaim the title of the All-State Champions for the first time in I think it's like 25 years or so. And of course, you can't close down a school that just won this competition, okay? So they save the school. How awesome is that, right? And so after the competition is over with, <laughs> Um, After the competition is over with, we see the folks from the Archdiocese office who, of course decide to save the school because they won and Mr. Crisp managed to fight his way out of the closet and Maggie, Dame Maggie Smith and and Father Maurice make it seem like it was Mr. Crisp's idea to enter the school into the competition and save the school. And based on the dialogue, the people from the archdiocese office are like, oh, we didn't realize you were being coy when you talked about early retirement. Like, we can't believe you helped save the school in this way. And basically, I'm guessing that means Mr. Chris has to continue working because he's coming across as competent. (laughs) I guess. I don't know. Again, very confused by Mr. Chris' motivations. I'm assuming that St. Francis was supposed to be his last school, I guess. Okay. So anyways... It's a weird story for a movie villain. And like I said, it's hard for me to understand even as an adult. But some of the students over here, that Sister Mary Clarence is not really a nun and that she is a Vegas showgirl. And of course that information spreads, right? So Florence... Rita's mom makes it backstage and she says that she's proud of her super talented daughter. And I wonder if she turned into a stage mom after this. That would be an interesting story to follow. Has anybody written any fan fiction about what happened to Rita after? Um, <laughs> if there's a sister act two fan fiction, I would low-key be interested in reading that. I'm, I don't know if that exists. But anyways, Professor McGonagall reveals that the school won't close to the students. And the students confront Sister Mary Clarence about being a Las Vegas showgirl. And she corrects them. And she's like, I'm not a showgirl. I'm a headliner. And then the movie ends with all the students and the nuns singing Ain't No Mountain High Enough. And they're singing together in this super cute ending sequence where they're all dancing across the screen as the credits roll. And it's just so beautiful it's so beautiful it looks like they had a great time and if I were one of those actors I feel like that would probably be the highlight of my life and I would be so upset that it was over and speaking of being over with that's the end of the movie y'all when I tell y'all I love this movie I feel like there aren't really words to explain what this movie means to me and my culture in particular just as a black person and lover of black music I mean, Sister Act Two, like I said, is one of my favorite movies. The music is great. The kids were cool and super diverse. I feel like I haven't seen that much diversity in a classroom since like, Hey Arnold, okay? It painted what felt, at least like a mostly accurate picture of what it's like to be in a declining neighborhood and in a declining school. And it gave us some young, fresh talent, particularly Lauren Hill. And Whoopi Goldberg managed to be a super intricate part of the story and a guiding force for the students while centering the story on mostly the student. It's very strange. Like she was able to decenter herself and make the story about uplifting these students in a way that felt really like, Cool. It's kind of hard to describe, but I hope you understand what I mean. So it's like a really brilliant way to let the students shine and to like uplift the next generation, bring in elements that were very popular. Like I said, hip hop was very popular at the time. So I feel like this was like a very nice and wonderful next step when it came to the Sixter Act franchise. So if you watch the first movie, you'll see how these movies connect but you realize that they can also kind of exist separately without staying too much on the same storyline and that's what makes it so good that they expand and expound upon something that people already liked so this movie really upped the ante for me when it came to like being a sequel and i feel like lots of people in the black community feel the same way but when i looked at the rotten tomatoes ratings on this movie i was pissed off (laughs) The mofos at Rotten Tomatoes have a major difference of opinion from myself. The critics at Rotten Tomatoes gave Sister Act 2 a 18%. 18%. The regular people over at Rotten Tomatoes gave it a 61%. Y'all, sometimes they just get it all the way wrong. Okay, I don't want to play the race card, so I won't. But I will say the people who are supposed to get it get it, okay? This is a super influential movie for me and my parents' generation, and it's going to stay that way, okay? So forget you, Rotten Tomatoes. So let's compare the two movies, all right? So in both movies, Whoopi Goldberg is fantastic playing a visionary in a very regimented space, like a Catholic school or a church, but she does not come across as the magical Negro, So for those of you who don't know, the magical Negro is a trope or a stereotyped black character whose role primarily involves assisting a white protagonist, typically by providing magical assistance or folk wisdom. Even though Sister Mary Clarence manages to transform the church and the school with her musical abilities, she doesn't play second banana to the needs of the white nuns. She's still the star and she has her own needs and wants. And she eventually sticks around because she wants to and not out of a sense of obligation. So it feels good to have like a main character in a story, not just... Solely be there to serve the needs of a white protagonist. Whoopi Goldberg, for the most part, is the protagonist, so it doesn't come across as like being negative or anything to me. In Sister Act One, we see that there is a stark contrast between Dolores's life and the convent. But in Sister Act Two, we see a different side of her. We see that she's molding young minds and investing in communities. And the first movie shows like a very self-involved Dolores, but in the second one, we see that she's more so being of service. So it's nice. To see that there's an evolution, not just for Dolores, but for the other nuns too. We see that Sister Mary Roberts is more confident in her singing ability. We see Sister Mary Lazarus as not as stringent. And we see that the Reverend Mother is actually warm and inviting to Sister Mary Clarence and even advocates her. And so the story of these two films is about transformation. It's about how having a person who is themselves, who isn't afraid to innovate, who isn't afraid to change things and get people involved can transform a space. And I think that's like a really lovely lesson about when we invite people into spaces or when we exclude people from places like where could our communities, where could the world, where could our industries be if we stop rejecting the influence of people who are different or who are viewed as outsiders. So I think that's like an interesting lesson to take from these two movies. So I think the reason that Sister Act 2 gets so much praise, particularly from the Black community, is because of the students and the hip hop aspect and how it really embodies the hip hop culture and the era that was going on in 1993. So Sister Act is just like a funny movie with nuns and revitalizing a church. And that is like not as impactful to the culture as witnessing the beginnings of freaking Lauren Hill. So that's why there's such like a big disparity in the amount of enjoyment even though crappy rotten tomatoes seems to have the ratings backwards, okay? Overall, I think Sister Act 2 of course did more for the culture and does not deserve the crappy rotten tomatoes rating of 18%. But the first Sister Act movie is a cute movie and has some funny moments and if you have some time, you should watch it, get the full context for the second movie, even though you could probably do without it, okay? So thanks so much for listening to the very first original versus sequel episode of Submedia Reviews. Please share your thoughts on Sister Acts 1 and 2 on our social media pages. In next week's episode, I'll be reviewing the Nickelodeon hit show, Hey Arnold! Peace out. Thanks for listening to Submedia Reviews. I hope you enjoyed our trip down memory lane just as much as I did. If you have any suggestions for movies or TV shows you'd like me to review next, or if you just want to share your thoughts on today's episode, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Pinterest at Submedia Reviews and on submediareviews.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And if you have a moment, please leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. Your feedback helps me improve the show and spread the word to new listeners. So
0: until next time, peace out, home slices.